The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. AT&T, out of content and into connectivity. CEO John Stanky joins us after spinning off media assets and cutting the forecast for cash flow. Customers might be having a harder time paying their bills. The consumer is experiencing a bit of stress. There's some trade-offs occurring right now and decisions on dining and travel and a variety of other things. And it's it's most of, mostly hitting those in, in lower socioeconomic tiers. Plus, Tesla dumping the bulk of its Bitcoin holdings. And we're heading across the pond where gas flows are restored, for now. And the European Central Bank made an historic move trying to get about 20 different economies on the same page. That would be like if people in Montana were paying a percentage point more than people in Pennsylvania. It's Thursday, July 21st. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, fuel please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tesla shares are higher. I'm not sure I understand why Tesla shares are higher, but we can discuss this. The company reported adjusted earnings of $2.27 per share. That beat the estimates of $1.81, but we're going to talk about how they got there. Revenue jumping 42% from a year ago, but fell short of estimates. Margins for Tesla's cars came in at 27.9%, down from 32.9% the last quarter. The company cited inflation and more competition for battery cells and other components that go into electric vehicles. The company also said it converted about 75% of its Bitcoin holdings into fiat currency. It had purchased, of course, $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin back in early 2021, closed last year with nearly $2 billion in Bitcoin on the books. And then on the call, Musk explained the rationale for the liquidation. We are certainly open to uh, increasing up coin holdings in future. Um, so this should not be taken as some uh, verdict on Bitcoin. Uh, it's just that uh, uh, we were concerned about overall liquidity for the company given COVID shutdowns in China. And we have not sold any of our Dogecoin. Musk also spoke about his expectations for inflation. I think inflation will decline towards the end of this year. Uh, we're certainly seeing uh, prices of commodities trending lower. Uh, you know, but take it with a grain of salt. This is making uh, e- economic prognostication uh, <laughs> is uh, fraught with error. Tesla shares right now uh, up about uh, two and a half, three percent. You're looking at it now, two hundred or seven hundred and sixty-three dollars. When I said I don't really understand this, yeah. you look at free cash flow for this company. Last quarter, you take Bitcoin out, and this is a negative free cash flow company, which means they are burning cash. Which is why they liquidated the Bitcoin. Which is why they liquidated the Bitcoin. So uh, the reason I say I'm not sure why, I mean, I I don't know what you think the right right valuation for this company is to begin with. What put it in the 600s? You know, all the Twitter stuff and everything. They they had sold, they had boosted uh, profits at one point last year by selling 10% of their Bitcoin, I guess when it was much higher. And this was about a billion dollars, a little less that they got this time, and that definitely bolstered 
the results. Did he call in from a Greek island, do you know? Was he back in the... Uh, are, you, he, are you asking whether he was being hosed down by Ari Emanuel <laughs> on bad. a boat <laughs> while he was on the telephone? Hosed down by, by... Yeah, that's what I'm asking. No, he's back. Uh, I don't know. He might be still on the boat. He could be. We, 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 really, we really do not know. We really do not know which we did. But what I don't same goes no, for but, this show. But honestly, if a company does, has negative free cash flow right. in but, a quarter, and look, it's hard to know what the right valuation for right, Tesla is supposed right. to be to begin with. Right. But do people look and go, oh, this is a free cash flow positive company and not understand that this was well, a function of selling Bitcoin? Probably, by the way, potentially at a bad time, unless you think that this thing is going to continue right. to go, go but, down. But, he also, by the way, said when he bought the Bitcoin, from the get-go, that right. they were going to hold said Bitcoin, this, that they were not selling their Bitcoin. But he, there, he was also saying, given all the headwinds with supply chain, yep. this was a pretty good result. So the net, you could, people, people could be saying, well, the, the cash flow is being impacted by something that's not going to last forever, as far as the supply chain goes. And it's already down from, not, where was it? What was the high? 900? I don't know. I did, how high was it? 1,000? Over 1,000. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I don't, I don't own it. I don't follow it that closely. But Elon has said in the past that capital allocation is a really boring job. It's a really hard job, not one he would like to do. And this kind of tells you some of the issues of going along with capital allocation with some of these things. I, I get why they would sell it. At 1,200. Wow. So it was at 600 from 1,200, basically. Right. So, so who, how, do you, how do you figure anything? It's like trying to figure out whether Netflix moves up or down on things. Right. It's and don't forget, from 800 the to Twitter question is still in the background with this stuff, too. I don't. Right. But I'm only, I'm only making the argument that we, we, we and others and, and the sheep out there that seem to follow this company. The sheeple. The sheeple out there write these headlines and talk about it as if they beat expectations. Right. You know, they're free, and then they have this term, free cash flow. Yeah. And I think to myself, what are we even talking about here? Right. This is a company that basically sold its Bitcoin so that it, those numbers could look like that. And if they didn't do that, then we wouldn't be talking about any of this like that. And I'm not negative about Tesla. I think it's a fabulous company. But I don't understand just this sort of knee-jerk well, reaction. I felt like you were saying some pretty bad things just now about Tesla. And it's, it, it's at AR, Andrew R. Sorkin, isn't it? On, on, if someone, on, on Twitter? By the way, for Netflix, I need to revise a few things. Um, it's not Netflix. It's the other one, the old man. It, it's Jump the Shark. Okay, So I don't know if I'm recommending it to you anymore. I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know whether you want to put in the time. One episode? I just know I watched another one, and I'm like, what is happening? And they're not pit bulls. They're Rottweilers. His two, his two dogs. So I, I wanted to. Just thank you set, for set, set, the set, audience set the, was waiting for this update this for, morning. For, yeah, right. If you're, we're if so you glad have, that yeah, it's if six, you have watched, six forty seconds six, in. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I'm all about accuracy, and it, a pit bull is not a Rottweiler, and and vice versa. New overnight, and, he, and a lot of his commands are in German, so it wouldn't make sense if he was. The pit bull will be like, speak English. What do you, you know? The Rottweilers understand, though, apparently. Russia has resumed gas flows to Europe, uh, averting fears of a continued halt of shipments through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. But, I mean, what leverage Putin has? I mean, so you, you resume, but you don't know. Any time he could, if, if you do this, uh-oh, you may be mad. If you do this, you may be mad. If you do this, uh-oh. Next you do week, it. he said another turbine might come down. These, uh, yeah, we, we may have some maintenance to do. You put sanctions on yeah. him. Oh, really? You're putting sanctions on me? Okay. How's, uh, how's your air conditioner working? Uh, the pipe down, which was, but they don't have much of that. Anyway, they need more air conditioning in, in Europe. It was shut down earlier this month uh, for maintenance, and data from Nord Stream's website shows flows at a similar level as before the shutdown, but 
they're still running at about 40% capacity, as they have been since uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Yesterday, the e European Commission told member countries they need to cut their gas consumption by 15% until March in an effort uh, to save energy. 15% uh, is a pretty big cut. I, I, if, if they told us Huge. that I, here, I, I was just thinking if you were trying if to they cut told your us that here, we wouldn't 15%. understand that it, it, it doesn't sound like that much, but I think you'd note, you would notice. Yeah, you would certainly feel that. And that the big question is, where do you do it with manufacturing? Do you do it with consumers? It's it's. Are there certain industries that get exempted from it or not? This is, this is going to be a big question, then, how this all plays out. We are here on stage with President Lagarde. The European Central Bank surprised markets today. Thank you very much and good afternoon uh, to all of you. With its first interest rate hike in more than a decade, announced by central banker Christine Lagarde. We decided to raise the three key ECB interest rates by 50 basis points. Inflation is running hot in the 19 countries that share the euro currency. This 50 basis point increase is higher than was expected and brings the deposit rate out of negative territory, where it's been since 2014, contending with sovereign debt crises across the eurozone and the COVID-19 pandemic. The front-loading today of the exit from negative interest rates allows us to make a transition to a meeting-by-meeting meeting approach to our interest rate decisions. Our future policy rate path will continue to be data-dependent and will help us deliver on our 2% inflation target over the medium term. The ECB is a vast machine, representing the needs of many countries, right? 19 of them, with very different internal economic conditions. Let's get back to Joe. You know, we mentioned a lot of people, they have a single mandate, the ECB, but de facto the mandate is anti-fragmentation. It's not about uh, really a, a stable currency or full employment. It's about what they're trying to deal with because it's really hard with as Alarian calls it, multi-speed economies, it's hard to have a central bank when you have such disparate that it is. fundamentals. And, you know, Italy should not have the same interest rates as Germany. It, it just, you should not be able to borrow in Italy at the same rate that you, right? Steve Leisman joins us now. Uh, and for once, this, this, this is really going to be interesting, Steve. What's up? First time in 11 years, Joe, the European Central Bank raising its uh, interest rate. But now we await uh, two things. One is how they'll implement this uh, program to even out interest rates across the euro uh, area. And then the second thing is what kind of guidance we get. Uh, I think for sure now you have to think about a more aggressive European Central yeah. Bank joining others like Canada, uh, Great Britain and, hey, and the Steve, United States, Becky. They, they also say they see further normalization of interest rates. So this is not the end of the rate hikes, that they're going to continue no. with this. Tough choices, Steve, over, over there. And, and like the, the same kind of choices sometimes that, that central bankers everywhere uh, face. They, they wanted to keep them low. They, you know, obviously they've got energy issues that are going to impact global growth. Now, this, this is just adding to... Uh, to the slowdown, you would think. And uh, the stress on the consumer. Stress on the consumer. Yeah. And, if, and if, the anti-fragmentation uh, anti mandate uh, is taking a back seat, obviously, at this point to, to what needs to be done. Just like we need, we, we're doing things over here that need to be done at the expense of maybe employment and everything else. Uh, tough choices when, when you've stayed easy for too long for the wrong reason. Well, no, no doubt about that. I mean, that the, the European Central Bank is a single inflation mandate central bank. 
that's all they're supposed to deal with. Uh, and so they don't really have to worry so much about it. But it still is true. Uh, they have problems over there we don't necessarily have. They have a huge potential natural gas problem, given uh, what may or may not happen with Russian supply over there. They have a huge spike. And, 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 and the impact of that natural gas issue or the broader energy issue in Europe is one that will definitively raise prices, but also could mean a massive a downturn in European industrial production, especially in Germany, if they don't have the energy or have to pay huge amounts of, 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 uh, uh, to pay for that energy. So they have issues over there that, that we don't have right here. Plus, we, you know, we have our own energy sources. Um, and then they have this fragmentation. I'm glad you said that, Joe, anti-fragmentation. I was trying to, uh, as we say in the business, write around that uh, uh, phrase. And what that means is these huge disparities out there. I'll give you a quick uh, a look at what the disparities are. I have a little chart in front of me here. Um, the Italian 10-year trades at 235 or 2.35 percentage points higher than German, uh, Germany. Uh, Greece actually is even is lower now at 222 over. The, the Greek 2-year is, is uh, a full percentage point over the German 2-year. So that would be like if people in Montana were paying a percentage point more than people in Pennsylvania for their uh, uh, bond deals. We don't have that problem again here in the United States, Joe. The whole uh, kick the can down the road that some of the, the sovereign debt of, of southern European countries never really did get totally fixed. And um, I, I don't know whether that comes back. What do you mean back. totally? They didn't do anything, Joe. I so know. They didn't do anything. They left it all. The, the, the same problems we had during the financial crisis, they're here again now. They, they ignored it, didn't do it, and now they have to deal with this fragmentation problem again while they're trying to raise interest rates. Yeah, we say we don't have that problem here. Sometimes you wonder. I hope we don't start talking about fragmentation here. Uh, you know what I mean? hope Montana doesn't decide to secede, uh, as you said, but, uh, or Texas. <laughs> you know, we're okay for now, Steve. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, we're checking in with AT&T after its own brief stint in Hollywood. CEO John Stanky says he's still betting on the power of streaming. I think streaming can still be a really, really good business. I think it's the business of the future. I don't think if you're if you're not investing in it and trying to make sure that you have a relevant place, then you're you're mortgaging your future. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Today's big interview on the podcast, AT&T CEO John Stanky. We're catching the company just three months after it closed its deal to spin off all the content businesses it had just bought about five years ago. 
Let's rewind to 2016 when AT&T announced its $85 billion plan to acquire Time Warner, which included brand names like HBO, CNN, TNT, Warner Brothers. About two years of negotiations and antitrust litigation later, the deal closed, so we're now in mid-2018, and from there, Warner Media was born, and later streamer HBO Max. AT&T restructured the now enormous company, bringing in industry execs from outside, bidding farewell to some of its own legacy players. And then, into the pandemic, mid-2021, a plot twist, AT&T announces a $43 billion plan to spin off all those content businesses in a merger with Discovery. After a few months, that deal closed, and here we are, with an AT&T that is refocused on its connectivity business, cell phones, 5G, devices. Today, John Stanky, who took over as CEO in 2020, just a few months into the pandemic, wears the old Ma Bell, as AT&T used to be called, to go from here after its very brief stint in Hollywood. In its second quarter, AT&T reported better than expected earnings, upping its forecast for mobility revenue growth. It is still expanding its 5G network, and with that effort in mind, the company lowered its full-year cash flow projections. And I'll let Becky Quick take it from here. Joining us right now to talk more about it is AT&T CEO John Stanky. And John, thank you for being here today. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you, Becky. How you doing? Good. Let, let's talk through these numbers because every number I saw looked like it was better than expected or in line with expectations, with the expectation, with the exception of the full year cash flow numbers that you're now expecting for the full year. I know you adjusted those numbers to $14 billion from what had been $16 billion originally. Um, stocks trading down, that's the only number that I can kind of see that would maybe be causing that. So why don't we start with that? Why are you lowering uh, the free cash flow estimates for the year? Yeah, it's, a, it's a good question. I think that's a pretty accurate read, Becky. I would tell you that, uh, you know, first of all, we've had great success in the market. And I think if I went back to January and late last year, as we were talking about our expectations for growth in the market, they were far more tempered than what we're actually seeing. And as you just reported, 813,000 postpaid phone net ads are best in 10 years. Um, you know, that's really strong. We don't know what the rest of the industry did. I expect that's going to be pretty strong relative to the industry. That takes a little bit of cash to do that. And that certainly wasn't our expectation going into the year. In addition, as you also heard, you know, we hit our end of year target on mid-band 5G spectrum deployment early. And uh, we've got 70 million potential population covered right now. That's a big change. We did over 2 million new connected uh, locations in our fiber build, which took a lot of capital to do that. So the machine's running pretty good right now. And my decision was to kind of let it run because these are really important growth foundational issues for the business moving forward. We did the hard things we did in restructuring the business last year to give us the latitude and flexibility to do these types of things. And, you know, then we've also seen a little bit of working capital issues as we've moved through it. There's, there's clearly some dynamics going on in the economy where we have customers that are stretching out their payments a bit. We expect that they're going to continue to pay their bills, but they're taking longer to do it. That's not atypical in an economic cycle. And we're starting to see maybe the bottom end of the subscriber base uh, making some decisions between, 
you know, am I paying this bill this month or that bill this month, given some of the pressures they're seeing at home? Let, let's break that down, because those sound like two very different stories, almost a tale of two different uh, two cities at this point. What you're seeing is you were spending more to, to lay that fiber quick, more quickly than anticipated. You, you, you got to where you wanted to be with 5G six months ahead of time, so you were spending more on that end of things. You also had very strong demand for things like iPads and uh, cell phones, so you guys were spending more money to load up on those things. Is, am, I, am I hearing that correctly? That's, that's correct. And, you know, look, I, I expect we're probably going to be in a more tepid economic environment moving forward, but these investments we're making are long-lived assets. These are things that are going to build the franchise for decades to come. And when you think about our, our speed to market and what we want to do to make sure that we've got the best infrastructure out there to support what we want to do in the market, I don't think backing off a long-lived asset, given the economic flexibility we have right now and the restructuring of our balance sheet, is the right decision. In fact, frankly, in an inflationary environment, getting more of it built when it's cheaper and allowing it to get into service and then inflate as the economy inflates is probably a, a long-term better call for us. That makes sense. But what you said, the other half of it, though, is, is maybe the thing that the street is going to be on the lookout for, not, not just with AT&T, but with every company. We're trying to figure out where the economy stands. And if you are starting to see some customers take a few days longer to pay, pay to make payments or maybe make decisions about which bills they don't pay, that means the the, the lower strata of the, of the economy is definitely feeling the pinch with inflation as they start doing these things. Maybe that's what you start seeing, signs of a potential economic downturn. I, I think that's probably true. And, uh, you know, certainly we don't see everything in the economy. We see a segment of the customer base um, clearly in, in the low end of the market. I think there's a dynamic that the, the consumer is experiencing a bit of stress. You know, I see a lot of the same numbers you see and we know that there's some trade-offs occurring right now and decisions on dining and travel and a variety of other things. And it's it's mostly, mostly hitting those in, in lower socioeconomic tiers. And, uh, you know, gasoline's expensive and cooling and heating homes is expensive right now. And those trade-offs are starting to manifest themselves. Um, I don't worry about our particular place in the economy as much while we tend to see these payments stretch out, and that's clearly what's hitting our working capital dynamic right now. They do ultimately make payments on their cell phone, and you know we've got history on that from previous economic cycles. And I feel you know relatively confident that we're going to be able to manage through that. But um, I I do believe we're seeing signs that at this level of inflation. We've got people making choices right now, and they're starting to emerge in that fashion. John, it's, uh, the boss is, is a hard job, uh, I think, sometimes for, for a CEO. With great power comes great responsibility, someone very wise uh, once said. You, had to make, you made some decisions that had to be uh, agonizing for you in terms of uh, changing the, the entire business focus of, of AT&T. And now that's, that's behind you. It's a simpler company. It's, things seem to be going well. You had debt you had to deal with. Did you know streaming was going to become such a tough business in like six months after you know, I, I looked at Warner Brothers Discovery stock, I think the high is 31, I think it's trading at about 14 right now. Did, did you have an idea that business was, was gonna get much tougher or you just wanted to, to refocus AT&T on, on something much simpler? Well, I, I think first of all, we wanted to make sure that we were able to focus the business and uh, execute well. And I think we're starting to see early signs that we're able to do that. I don't know that I view that the streaming business has gotten quote unquote much tougher. 
Um, I, I would argue, and I think I've said on this program before, that there was a little bit of a tale of two cities in, in valuation of streaming assets. And maybe there were some assets that were valued a little bit too robustly and other assets not valued strong enough. And uh, I, I still believe, frankly, that that's probably the place the market is in right now. And uh, I, I believe that over time, Warner Brothers Discovery, as you referenced, uh, will have a bright future and be able to close some of that valuation gap and move up to places that, that others were able to occupy, while some of those at the top may be moderating a bit. But I think streaming can still be a really, really good business. I think it's the business of the future. I don't think if you're, if you're not investing in it and trying to make sure that you have a relevant place, then you're, you're mortgaging your future. And uh, I would tell you, I think what's, what's really exciting is the game is coming to approaches like what Warner Brothers Discovery did. I think I've said for a long time that having a, a two-sided business model in streaming to support both subscription and advertising was gonna be really important. And it was going to be really important because it allowed you to do things like have the types of marquee events that ultimately consumers want to see, like sports. And I think what we're seeing is, the, you know, the scaled streaming players are going to have two-sided business yeah, models. I know, you're pull, I know you're pulling for them, so I, I understand that it's in your best. <laughs> be nice they own a big part of Discovery uh, now, uh, I or yeah. Warner Media Discovery. Hey, John, a question to you about the, the the consumer. I know Becky was asking about the consumer before, but about specifically the the refresh cycle. We talk about a marquee events. The the Apple refresh cycle every fall has always been. Uh, or historically has been typically important. What do you see that looking like come September and October of, the, of this fall? I expect it will be a bit more moderated than last year's refresh cycle. Uh, as you know, last year's refresh cycle was the first time the iPhone came out with broad support for 5G. And as a result of that, there was uh, a lot of demand that went in that. And frankly, I think a lot of the strong demand we're seeing moving into this year are customers who are choosing to go more aggressively into that upgrade cycle to get the latest equipment. Um, I, I don't think we're gonna see quite the rush later, in the latter part of this year. We're expecting it'll be a bit more tempered. Um, I don't know exactly what the economic cycle is going to be when there's a, a new refresh of the, the equipment and the devices out there. I expect it's probably going to be a little bit more strain than where we are today. Although, as I said, demand numbers so far have been pretty strong this year, but forecasting out, I think it'll be a bit more tempered moving forward. At least that's kind of our expectations right now. John, do you think at all that, that the whole sort of 5G push, there was a sort of an expectation that 5G was going to change the world? And, and I'm not uh, sure it won't, but that it hasn't yet. Uh, look, I think that any time a new technology comes out, not even just unique to 5G or the wireless industry, there's always expectations at the front end when that technology shows up that it's going to be a world beater and change things overnight. And I think more typically what we see happen is it bakes over a couple of years. And then all of a sudden we see some really strong innovation come in and three, four or five years down the road, people look back and say, how did we do without that? And, and I think 5G will be no different. The, the promise of 5G is, is literally giving a wireline or connected-like experience no matter where you are, whether you're in a car and moving or you're in the middle of a town square, and the reality is, is getting that infrastructure that robust takes a little bit of time and it takes a little bit of money, as you can see from our investment cycle this past quarter. 
And when that starts to happen, I think the innovation comes behind it. And I think we're going to be just like we did with the questions at the front end of 4G LTE. Is this going to matter? Is the consumer really going to want this? It opened up the explosion of on-the-go video and entertainment wherever you went. We're going to be looking back at 5G and the innovation cycles that occur and say, how did we do without it? Hey, John, let's talk a little bit about inflation because every company is dealing with this. I know one of the ways that you all have kind of responded to try and protect your margins is to take a look at pricing plans for some of the legacy uh, subscribers that you have. You, you raised prices. What's been the reaction so far? Look, nobody likes to just go in and raise prices, and we tried to do this in a way where we felt it was the right thing for for our customers. And frankly, after several years of of you know price cuts and and offering more for less, um, inflation has created a circumstance not only for our company and our industry, but everybody broadly across the economy. And we took a look at this and said, how do we do this in a way where it's it's good for the customer? And we went after you know, some parts of our business, legacy plans that customers hadn't touched in a long time and said, look, we've got better plans out there that allow you to do more and give you more flexibility, like use your phone for a hotspot or roam internationally. And so as we, we went in there and said that we're going to have to raise some prices on these longstanding plans, there are places you can go and actually get more value out of the money you're spending with us. And I think we've done this in a really smart way by, number one, giving the customer choice to giving them more for what they're paying for. And it's gone well, Becky. I mean, we, we never like to go through this cycle. It's always hard to message it and communicate it, but we're in an environment right now where I think all good companies are gonna have to deal with input costs and we're gonna have to react to it. And I'm really proud of the team of how they've worked through it. I would say it's playing out exactly as we expected it would play out. I think we're gonna see some acceleration in our ARPUs in the latter part of this year because of that, that will help offset some of these input cost issues that we're dealing with. You certainly saw the fact that our, our business grew on our poos in the postpaid space, postpaid voice space uh, this quarter, as we promised it would. You're seeing the growth in EBITDA start to occur in the wireless business. So I think we've done what we expected we would do on it. Really pleased with it. John, I want to thank you for being with us this morning. Um, appreciate your time. No, it's a busy morning, but it's good to see you. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. It's By the way, that stock is up by more than 7% for the year to date. And that's pretty impressive when you consider what's happened with the NASDAQ, what's happened with the Dow, what's happened with the S&P 500. Again, John Stanky from uh, AT&T. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely. 
positively FedEx. Joel Gray, the icon, still alive, 90 years old, won an Academy Award, a Golden Globe, and a Tony. And I didn't realize it, but he's in a show that we've been talking about in the second episode. Which Still one? acting at 90. The old man? The old man. Is he's he in really? the old man? He's in the old man, and I didn't, I remember who, I, rem- I immediately remembered, that's Joel Gray, but I didn't associate it initially when I saw him, but he's in the wow. old man. So he's awesome, just celebrated a birthday. Amazing, he's an icon. Okay, real quickly, there's a one-year-old named Sophia. It's her birthday today as she watches Squawk. Happy birthday, Sophia. Does she have a favorite? Did they mention? Favorite anchor? Yeah. Probably Becky, probably. Yeah, probably Becky, I guess. All right. She likes you guys, too. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 